0: Oh man! Well, as we jump right into um, God's word this morning, we're actually in our last week of this series on the Holy Spirit. Um, it has been eight weeks. Can you believe it? Um, it's it's pretty wild, at least in my mind. But if but I'm honest, like this this series we've done, filled with God, the gift of the Holy Spirit, has been one of the most challenging series for me. Not because of the amount of hours it takes to, to put together a message. But more so from the standpoint of if, if all that God's Word says about God's Spirit is true, then what difference does that make in my life? Right? I mean, we, so far, week one, we talked about how if we were a follower of Christ, the very Spirit of God dwells within us. Well, how does that change our Monday through Sunday Ordinary lives. If at we, week two we talked about how he's the Spirit of Truth, well, do I open God's Word expecting that His Spirit is going to speak to me? Week three, how he's the Spirit who transforms. Well, am I open to Him transforming my life, even if it's hard or painful? Weeks four and five, how he's the Spirit who gives us gifts or abilities that are meant to be used to build up one another. Well, if that's true, do I ever ask for them? Do I I expect God to give them? Or the last two weeks, how he's the spirit who empowers us to both proclaim and demonstrate the reality of God in this world, especially among those who don't know Jesus. Well, if that's true, do I ever pray for opportunities to share Christ with others, expecting the Holy Spirit to give those to me? Right? You know, we've talked all about the Holy Spirit thus far and all that God's Word teaches us, but the question I'm going to ask today in this final day of this series is well, now what? (laughs) Now what? So, tomorrow morning, when you finally wake up after hitting snooze like five times, I mean, is that how many of you in here don't hit snooze? Oh, man, give me what you have. For, most, for many of us, when we finally drag ourselves out of bed and we stare down another week and another day, does the Holy Spirit have any relevance for that moment? When we're struggling to find the motivation, or for some of us just struggling to get our body moving, right? Does the Holy Spirit have any relevance for that moment? When work is incessant, when your elderly parents need care, when school is stressful, when the kids are out of control, when you're not feeling well, when you have more to do than time to do it, or frankly, life has just become boring and lonely, does the reality that the Spirit of God dwells within those who believe have any relevance for any of that? You see, I'm, we've talked about the Holy Spirit this whole time, but today in this last series, last uh, sermon in the series, we're asking, how can we learn To both recognize and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, daily. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, how can we learn to keep in step with the Spirit? Because again, if you belong to Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Not just so that you can know about him, but so that you can experience his freedom, his power, his love, and follow his lead in every area of our lives Monday through Sunday. But how? I mean, what I just laid out is exactly what Jesus did, right? He was full of the Spirit and followed his lead in every area, and he wants to teach us to do the same, but How? How And what does it look like? And what often hinders us from being able to follow the Spirit's lead in every area of our lives? Well, before we dive in, I'm going to pray. Um, and then we're going to read just 10 verses um, from a book called Galatians. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. Uh, if you want to grab one of the Pewback Bibles in front of you, we're in Galatians 5, verse 16. We're going to read to verse 25, which is nine, page 946 of the Pewback Bibles in front of you. We're going to start reading at Galatians 5, verse 16. But before we do, I want to lead us in prayer first. Holy Spirit, we know you're here. Your word says that you are always near. But that doesn't mean that my heart is always open to you. (laughs) And so we pray that you would open our hearts now, and we just give you permission together Holy Spirit, may you come and speak what you want to speak into our hearts and our minds. You know, when I share these words, I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my mind will be pleasing and acceptable to you, so that this will be your word and not mine, and that you, by your Spirit, will use it to transform our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16, reading to verse 25. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, and I like this. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Now, what's Paul getting at here? Ultimately, he's asking, what is controlling you? What is leading you? It's not a matter of if something is, but what. And he says that in every human being, we are followers of Christ, that is, he says there are really two operating systems that can lead and control our lives. Did you catch what those were as we read this? And he unapologetically Pulls no punches on this and makes it clear. He says, God's spirit and our selfish nature, which he calls the flesh, are in direct opposition and we can't follow both. So, what we just read is part of a letter that Paul originally wrote to a bunch of churches in the southern region called Galatia, which is modern day Turkey. See, in his first missionary journey, Paul went through that area, and though he was rejected by a lot of people, by the power of the Spirit, he saw a lot of brand new churches crop up in those cities with brand new Christians. And now, he's writing this. This is one of his first known letters. And he's writing this to them to explain to them, he says, what does this mean now for your everyday life? He says, well, one, you used to be controlled by this thing called the flesh, but now You have God's Spirit, and God's Spirit wants no part of the flesh. Now, before we get into that, I think it's first worth explaining, what does he mean by flesh here? I mean, it's it's an unusual word for our 21st century ears. I mean, I don't even refer to my own skin as, have you seen the complexion on my flesh lately? Right, like it's not a word we often use. So what does he mean by it? Well, the easiest way to explain it is to use a bit of a computer metaphor here. When human beings turned away from God, our flesh became our default operating system that leads us to live for ourselves over anyone or anything else. So in this passage, verses 19 to 21, Paul gives a big old list. You probably caught that right there in the middle. And all of this list, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, Those are actually expressions of the flesh. But at its core, what is the flesh that he's talking about here? Well, he's referring to the sinful human nature that causes us to live for ourselves. But, but we should know outside of this passage that that was never God's intention for our lives. See, the flesh is actually a debase or lower form nature. But what God originally created us to be, he explains in the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, he says, he created male and female in his image, which means that our God-given original purpose was to image or reflect or represent God's character to the world. What is that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. The fruit of the Spirit we just read, that is who God is. And so it is God's intention that we mirror or reflect Him. But what happened? Many of you know, Genesis chapter 3 recounts the story of how the first human beings, and a lie was brought before them that caused them to become suspicious of God, once they believed it. And that awoke a desire in them for that which was not of God. So we see in the garden a lie gave birth to a desire. A desire, selfish ambition. And that selfish ambition, they thought, hey, maybe we could be our own gods. You see the des- right? See, the desire The desire gave birth to a belief. And for the first human beings, that belief required faith. Because the belief was, if we come outside of a relationship with God, we can actually be free. Did you guys catch that? There's a pop. If we 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 come outside of God, we can actually be free. And that required faith. It was a false faith, but it was a faith. And when they believed that, based on that belief, they acted in sin against God. And before we think that that's just the story that happened in Genesis 3, oh no. That same story progression from lie to sin has worked itself out in every single one of our lives, including mine. And what was the effect of it? The effect is that our relationship with God, was severed. Earth and heaven used to be one and the same, and now there's a distinction. And the moment human beings sinned against God, the moment that happened, that same sinful, fleshly, debased nature that led them to make that decision has marred every human being born from their line. But even though We turned our back against God as humans. He has never turned his back on us. And the Old Testament story continues. That God, though we turned our backs on him, he called a people to himself, the Israelites. And he says, you guys, I'm making a promise to you that I'm going to be there for you, and I'm going to enter a relationship with you. And he says that in this relationship with me, I'm going to restore, my goal is that that I can restore the image-bearing purpose in your life. In a relationship with me, you can represent who I am. And so then to give them a picture of what that looks like, God gave them his law, which is called the Ten Commandments. Right? Commandments like worship no God or created things except Him. Do not commit adultery. Don't be jealous for what belongs to your neighbor, right? But while the law was good, the law actually revealed a problem. The law was from God. It was good. But a problem came from that law. What was it? That as human beings, we were incapable of obeying it. You see, God's law is good. He says, this is what it looks like to image me, to reflect me, to come back to my original purpose for my life. But when human beings tried to do that on their own, they only wanted to live for themselves instead of God. They were incapable of following it. So instead of being faithful in in marriage, God's people sought sex with whoever and however they wanted. And instead of worshiping God, they worshiped the created things called idols. Instead of reflecting his love for one another, they committed injustice and they did what served them. Them at the expense of their neighbor. And don't oh, no, they still did the religious thing. Offered the sacrifices, went through the rituals, still looked religious, but what their operating system was, was whatever ultimately served themselves. That's the flesh. See, the law, if obeyed, could lead them to God, but when disobeyed, It left them condemned as criminals before God. Why? Because the sinful human heart. We have an operating system apart from God that leads us to live for ourselves, that leads us to, to break the original purpose and design God has for us. And the penalty for breaking God's law, the debt, is our lives. Now, that said, I'm going someplace. Where does Jesus fit into all this? Why did he come? You see, Jesus came to do for us what we couldn't do, to live a sinless life and pay our debt. See, Jesus didn't come because, oh, I guess God's law wasn't working. Let's throw that in the trash and start something new. He said he didn't come to throw the law away. Jesus says, I came to fulfill it. That Jesus, not with the operating system of the flesh, but with the Spirit, did what with his life what we couldn't do. He imaged God perfectly as a human being without any sin. The law never condemned him. But, bec- but even though he was innocent before God, he saw that we... Crushed under the debt of our own sin before God. So, in His love, He chose to pay our debt. <laughs> our debt on our behalf with His life on a cross. Paul said it this way God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness or be made right with. God. And this remarkable thing happens when we place our faith in Jesus, when we believe in Him. All of a sudden we are no longer under the law and condemned by it, but we are now under Christ by faith. And if we are are under Christ now, just as He stands innocent before God, so do we. That His righteousness has been counted to us. That we, the Bible uses this word, have been justified before God by faith. Galatians 5.18 says that if we have faith in Christ, we are under him now, not under the law. And not only justified, but that judge who once condemned us takes off his robe and calls us child. We've been adopted. And upon becoming sons and daughters of God, as his kids, God has given us the new operating system of his spirit. The same spirit who led Jesus now resides within us. Are you guys tracking with me so far? Man, like everything we got to say today, like like this is foundational to all of that. So that now those who've been made right with God through faith in Christ and full of his spirit Now, in our day-to-day lives, we must decide whether His Spirit will lead us or the flesh, but we cannot follow both. Paul says it straight up. For the flesh desires what is contrary or against the Spirit, and the Spirit contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another. Now, when Paul's saying this, he's not saying that the Spirit and flesh don't get along sometimes, like cats and dogs. He's also not saying, well, oh, they just don't mix well, like olives and ice cream. I don't care who you are. Like, like that, that's just like fundamentally disgusting. <laughs> All right? Please. But what he is saying is that by the fundamental nature of what they are, that the spirit and flesh cannot coexist. It's like light and dark. Like physically, it is impossible for them to coexist. Because when we follow the Spirit, He leads us one way. When we follow the flesh, it leads us in a completely opposite direction. And you can't go two ways at once. So Paul says, So I say, walk. By the Spirit, and if you do so, you will not live for the desires of the flesh. Paul is not saying that desires are bad. He's saying whose desires are you following? You tracking with me? But to walk here is an old Hebrew idea. It's yes, this is originally written in Greek, but it's a Hebrew idea that refers to the rhythms, routines, and lifestyles that make up our lives. You know, just like, like think about what walking is. Walking is a regular pattern, rhythm, habitual action. And to walk by the Spirit means that, that we're allowing our regular rhythms, habits, lifestyles to be led and, and, and marked out by His Spirit and not by whatever pleases our flesh. You tracking? All right, so... If that's the case, then how do we follow the Spirit and not the flesh in our everyday habits and lifestyles? Well, Paul says, first, if we want the Spirit's life in us, then the flesh must be put to death without mercy. Coming in hot. So after Paul says talks about all the fruits of a spirit-filled life. He says right after that in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if you're wanting to grow fruit, let's say apples. All right, you got an apple orchard, you're growing some apples, and then all of a sudden these bugs or these pests come and start eating the apples. What are you going to do those little suckers? If you want fruit, you, you got to take them out, right? You, you can't treat the pest as pets, right? You gotta, they're done or no fruit for you. Yet, this is not how we often treat the flesh. And that oftentimes, that very thing within us that is warring against the fruit-bearing work of the Spirit, we, we coddle it. We protect it. And we say things like, "Well, I know we're not married, but we're just fooling around. Or, yes, I drink too much, but it's just to blow off a little steam. I'm not gossiping. I'm sharing prayer requests. (laughs) I, I don't have an anger problem. I'm just passionate. You see, one thing about the flesh, we should know right here and now, it is a master at self-justification. Why? Because the flesh has to divert attention away from itself so that we will not deal with it. The flesh loves to run. I'm just not going to deal with it. Hide, shift blame. It's got to be somebody else's fault. Even if I know it's not somebody's fault, I'm going to figure out a reason why it's somebody else's fault. That's the way the flesh operates. But why does Paul give us such a a concrete list here? Because part of me, when I'm reading his letter, I'm thinking, why did he just stop and just, all these expressions of the flesh? It's because he's trying to expose it. He's saying all those little excuses that you say, well, that's not really that. He says, "Uh uh-uh. I'm going to give you a full list of what they are so that you can't continue to hide from it. So I'm exposing it, because when the Spirit exposes the work of the flesh in us, the only option is to crucify it. Look back at Galatians chapter five, verse 24. Notice this. He says, "Those who belong to Christ Jesus, who's that? Us. They're the ones who have crucified the flesh with His passions and desires. Now it's true. Paul says in Galatians 2:20, he says that when we came to Christ. You know, it's no longer us that lives. We were crucified with Christ, right? The old self lost its power over us as His Spirit lives within us. But He's also clear. He says, "Those who belong to Christ, it's still up to you daily to make the intentional decision to put the flesh down." And when He says "crucify," there is possibly not a more strong word He could have used. What does he mean by this? He says, well, first, crucifying the flesh is a pitiless decision to renounce sin. What was crucifixion? It was a deliberate process that showed no mercy to a criminal. And so when we talk about crucifying the flesh, Paul is saying, show no mercy (laughs) to that old operating system. And that begins by first. Crucifying the flesh begins by just calling it what it is. See, when we actually name it as what it is, selfish, destructive, against God, all of a sudden it begins to lose its power because now it's been brought into the light. And then from there, when their flesh may want to run, hide, or shift blame, instead, we name it, admit it. For example, if I know I'm jealous Or bitter towards somebody else? What's my first inclination? Well, the flesh wants you to blame it all on that other person. But the Spirit says, no, just call it what it is. You're not loving like God right now. And he wants to teach you how. And when the Spirit exposes that, we don't try to go and fix it on our own. That's not Spirit-led. Instead, we bring that sin before Christ. We lay it before him. We imagine ourselves nailing it to the cross and we leave it there. And then we run right into the open arms of grace that are always waiting for us. No matter what the lie may be, sin does not serve you. It deforms you. The Spirit transforms you. But second, we must note that crucifying the flesh can be a painful process. I, mean, I don't care who you are. It doesn't feel good whenever the Holy Spirit reveals anything in my heart that's going on. It does not feel good. And it's especially painful when I, when I, when I am led to say no to something that I've said yes to for a long time. Plus, when the Spirit exposes our sin... It's not just to change our behavior, but to heal our hearts. See, for example, one of we know that porn addiction, man, it's rampant right now. It's across men and women. But I've experienced so many Christians who, man, that they install the accountability software on their computers. But man, they just keep finding ways around it anyway. Why? Because oftentimes porn addiction stems from, is a symptom actually of deeper issues that stem from past pain, a desire to escape reality, something else. And the Spirit doesn't want to just fix our behavior. Whenever the Spirit is working, He is seeking to heal our hearts. But sometimes when he begins to do that, we run and hide from it because it hurts. All of a sudden, now he's bringing up past memories that he's bringing up to put in the light and show God's love right in the middle of it. But man, we don't want that. But anytime the Spirit does his work in us and it's painful, it's not to harm us. It's to do surgery. And if we've coddled sin for a long time, When we finally, decisively, mercilessly renounce it, it may even feel like part of you is dying. But it's only so that the new life of God might move and saturate more of your being. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Crucifying the flesh is part of that. You guys okay? If you're not, that's okay. But I do want to say, following the Spirit isn't just renouncing the negative. But the beautiful thing is that we get to walk toward the positive. And that he said also, after saying crucify the flesh, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us now keep in step with the Spirit. Well, how do we do that? We learn to keep in step with the Spirit daily as we slow down. To request His guidance. Recognize His invitation. Respond to His lead. And reflect over His work. And I'll get all, all that in a second. But, but I mean, just think about it for a second. Like 21st century America. Why is it so difficult for many of us to keep in step with the Spirit today? Well, for one the frantic pace of our lives and competing priorities, that many of us, myself included, are, are we consistently are trying to live beyond our own human limitations of time, resources, and energy. That instead of living intentionally within the human limitations that God has given us, if we're always trying to live outside of those, it leads us to feel scattered, anxious, and frankly, Hectic. So one, frantic pace. Two, we're incredibly distracted. Tech companies spend billions of dollars every year in order to capture our attention. And it works. So much so that our addiction to screens and stimulus leads us to feel like we have to spend every spare moment of our day with some sort of stimulation in front of us. So there's no moments just to be still, to be present with God. And then three, we're exhausted. As human beings, we are exhausted. For some of us, it's because we live at a frantic pace and we're distracted. For others of us, especially of those who are in the later years of your life, man, you've walked through some hard things in your life. And now you're just tired. And it's easy when we get to that place to just think, you know what, I'll just check out. I'll just check out. I'm not sure that there's a whole lot of purpose left for me. That's not the voice of God's Spirit. And a lot of us, you know, in the last two years alone have led us to a place of just exhaustion mentally, emotionally. But the truth of God is as long as he gives us breath, He still has purpose for our lives, and His Spirit still wants to fill you, strengthen you, empower you for that which we cannot do in our own strength. But I've found that if we're going to walk daily with the Spirit in our frantic, distracted, exhausted world then we must set up intentional rhythms or habits, ways of walking that open up time to connect with Him. So even though this is a little cheesy, I have four R's for ways that we can connect with God on a daily basis. And the only reason why is because I feel like alliteration helps us remember. All right? So four R's daily, first, to keep in step with the Spirit, request His guidance at the start of the day. You know, I know we all have different schedules in here. We all sleep differently. But if there's one thing we all have in common, we all sleep at some, some point. Right? At least I hope so. And we all wake up at some point. That time when we wake up, for many of us, may be the only still moment you get in your day. I encourage you to take advantage of that moment. Not to be frantic. And that instead of first thing, reaching for your phone and start scrolling through to see what you've missed, leave your phone where it is. Sit up on the edge of your bed. Take a deep breath. And as you breathe deep, just say, Holy Spirit, fill me today. Fill me, lead me. Because we want to start our days with him. With him. And it begins by the first thing. If if you're starting your day and you're anxious, or you're not looking forward and you're dreading the day that's coming, okay, confess that to him too. But then as we learn to request his guidance, then recognize his invitations throughout the day. One thing, if, you're gonna, if we're going to keep in step with the Spirit, one thing we'll learn really fast is that we can't predict or control the Spirit's work in our lives. John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus said that like the wind, the Spirit blows where it will. And so it's going to be a futile effort if we try to control or predict when the Spirit's going to lead, which means that we, the part of keeping in step means that we're consistently paying attention to Him. But someone older and wiser than me said to me just a week ago, he said, "What we often view as interruptions in our lives are actually invitations from the Holy Spirit to come closer to Him." So this past week, one of my littles woke me up at four a.m. Now, which is about the worst time, at least in my life, if because my alarm goes off about five. If if, if she had woken me up at four at like two. I could have gone back to bed. I could have gone back to sleep. It would have been fine. Before I get up, I'm helping her get settled again. Now my body's awake. Now my mind is moving, and I'm not going back to sleep. And so now I'm a little frustrated. I'm a little ticked off. But in that moment, I'm not even kidding. I think this was the Holy Spirit. The words of that older, wiser person came back to me saying, maybe this is not an interruption, but an invitation. And so I took my mad self downstairs I made some coffee and I sat down at the table. And eventually I started just writing out my prayers because I knew if I just tried to pray like this, I'd fall back to sleep. So I started writing, I wrote down my prayers. And I'm telling you, it was one of the most meaningful times I've had with God in a while. Just having that time with him. Sometimes what we view as interruption is actually an invitation If we're willing to recognize it as such. Request, recognize. And then it makes sense that after recognizing and requesting, that we learn to respond to his lead in our lives. I won't spend long on this, but, but, but keeping in step with the Spirit means that we're actually committed to action steps. We're not just talking about it. We're not just thinking about it, but actually responding to it. Because it, the Spirit is working in us It's so that they, He can then work through us as we respond to His lead to talk to somebody, to spend time with God, or whatever it might be. But then last, and this is important, as we look back on the time to reflect on where the Spirit was working in that day. So I want to ask, think about your day. Tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, what are the slow moments in that day? Or maybe I should say, what are the slowest moments (laughs) in that day? It may not be slow to anybody else, but maybe they're slow for you. What are the slowest moments in that day? For many of you, it might be right before you go to bed. Maybe it's your lunch break. How can you use that space, again, instead of picking up that phone, to stop and think through God? Where did I see the work of your spirit in my life, either the day before or or what I've lived so far that day? Where did I experience your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control? Because as we learn to ask that question and reflect on where he was at work, what happens? We then learn to recognize his work and respond to it in the future. So as we learn to request, recognize, respond, reflect, we realize that every day the Spirit is inviting us toward greater freedom as we learn to follow His lead in every part of our lives. So I want to do a little exercise for us here at the end. Just a quick exercise where we actually take a moment as a church. For some of you, this might be one of the few quiet moments you get all week long. And I'm going to give us a moment of silence to breathe deep. And because I'm an easily distracted person, I want us to take a moment just to say, just close our eyes perhaps. Maybe for some of you, even just like tune, tune out and take a deep breath. Can we close our eyes right now or just wherever you are? take a deep breath and even in this moment say Holy Spirit fill me lead me and sometimes when we're quiet he may lead us show us certain aspects of our flesh that he wants us to put to death to hand to him he may show us certain aspects of our lives that he is working and he's calling us to. But let's just take this moment. And as you do, just keeping a state of calm and quiet in this room. In 1 Kings chapter 19, there's a story of an exhausted prophet of God named Elijah. Elijah finds himself in a cave in the middle of nowhere. And he is exhausted, burned out, depressed, and lonely. Many of you may know exactly how that feels. You know exactly how it feels to be in an ordinary place and to feel like you are alone or exhausted or like nobody sees. But God sees. And as Elijah is in that cave, God shows Elijah. He says, Elijah, I could come to you in an overwhelming way right now. I could come to you in fire, pyrotechnics, all the things. Or, but what or he says, but what I'm choosing is instead, I'm going to speak to you with a gentle whisper. Because he knows that is what Elijah's soul. Really needs. He needs the calm, the rest of God. And for many of you, that's exactly what you need to. You are exhausted. You've been pushing it hard, or maybe like, life has just been long and hard, and now you're just, I don't even know. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe life is boring. But as you listen for the gentle whisper of the Spirit, He is coming to set you free. Whenever He speaks, it's an invitation into a deeper fellowship relationship with God. I encourage you to receive that, take that in, and allow Him to fill you with His life, His truth, His transformation his ability, his power. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Man, I want us to stop and think. Even if you take a next step from this, just think, what are two Holy Spirit check-in moments that you can incorporate tomorrow? For some of us, you, you are used to getting up and spending time with God. Maybe that time has gotten dull or stale, or you're not really sure how to, how to use it. I want to encourage you, put another Holy Spirit check-in moment in your day. For others of you, maybe it just begins with one, starting your day with Him, and then in time, adding another. But if it's interwoven into our rhythms and our fabrics, then we learn to recognize and respond and keep in step in our life with Him. So everybody, let's stand up. Let's sing and invite the Holy Spirit to come and have His way in us.